I always look forward to the the, the pick. I, I like this. What inspired yeah. this, JB? Um, Dolly Parton's always welcome. Exactly. So Badass. the inspiration is Dolly. Period. No other inspiration. <laughs> Just Dolly. No. <laughs> I uh, well, actually, you know, no. My son is down in uh, Nashville. We've talked about it. He's down at Belmont. Freshman year just started, and. Dolly has this hotel that's down near kind of the Music Row, the the west side of Broadway. Super cool. And I was thinking about it this morning, like, oh, Dolly. Always. Yeah, like you can pick anything. I know. You ever heard the really slow version of this, too? Like if you I've, play it halftime, it sounds better than the original. Really? Oh. No, I've never done that. Is it like record? You mean like somebody just recorded it and slowed it down? Well, they literally just took the time down on it. Wow. And it's eerie creepy because you know you listen you to can't this do version. that with every song i bet you no. can't slow it down like that and make it sound and it still sound good yeah only yeah nobody just dolly Dolly's just dolly can do it just dolly how are you i'm all right how are you it's a you know it's a midweek this is going to drop sunday of course but it's like kind of that midweek where i'm like what day is it and what do my kids have tonight do we yeah. have practices? They were off yesterday for uh, Monday for school. I don't think it was a teacher work day, and then it ruined everything. So it was it was good not getting everybody up. But then I'm like, oh, at 11 o'clock last night, I was like, the trash cans need to go. <laughs> so sorry to all my neighbors who I was like, you know, putting them down on the driveway. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm with you. Was, like, <laughs> I was literally this morning, me too, woke up. Had, I didn't know what day of the week it was. Yeah. You know, if it weren't for apps and constant reminders dinging, like I would have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Ever. But sometimes it has the opposite effect because they're always dinging. I then tune out a really important reminder. Well, I so I turn on my phone no notifications for socials because I, I yeah would no get, I, I would have get none on done, no and right? I'm I'm obsessed with clearing the red the number the 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 number. I don't like Ooh, it having... You mean your text messages? Yeah. Well, the text I can deal with, but like all the socials, that would drive me crazy. What's an appropriate text unread number in your world? Single digits. Single digits? Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta go look at it. It'll be like 2008 for me. What? Single digits. On your texts. Oh my God, I'm always in... I, I try to keep it in the 15 to 40 range. That's, that's more than a range. <laughs> Well, but Apple recently, in I think it was two updates back, they finally fixed text so that you can mark something as unread. Yes. Because I always feared, like, prior, it was, I mean, it was triple digits. Because I didn't want to open something, and I'm like, I, I don't want to deal with this right now. But if I click... Oh, my God. Then, then it's... It's making my skin crawl. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't... It, you, you know George, and George is definitely, it's like, look at his email. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, it's all spam. I'm like, unsubscribe. <laughs> block yeah. it. Delete. Just block, delete. Delete, it all. delete, delete. Yeah. So anyway. last uh, last night, so we're, we're recording Tuesday. Monday night had the St. Louis City Caravan. So the last one, um, which was kind of cool. A cool deal that City kind of worked out and had four times. It was Klaus, Joachini, Nerwinski, and last night was Indiana Vasilev. And he's a good time. He's got the coolest name. He, he I actually really like does. his name better. Like, Yao Klaus sounds scary yeah. and... He's an imposing player. Indy, Indy, I mean, it's it's Harrison Ford. But I fell like, into mom hey, mode Indy? very quickly. So oh, I've no. seen, I've interviewed him before. I've seen him. He's always, he's naughty. You know, he's a little bit like, he's fun and a little bit like naughty. And, and but not in a gross way. Just like, like a little boy. Like he's a little boy. I wasn't going to say anything. I'm just saying. Um, 
I know friends that will listen to this and be like, really? Uh, but last night he gets there and he's like, hey, uh, can you hold my keys in my wallet? I'm like, give, yes, give them to me. I'm mom in mom mode. I will have them. They will be in my bag, you little boy. <laughs> yeah, now buy me a beer. Yeah, and then later when it was getting close and my kids were coming from soccer practice, two of them, the two young ones were like, don't let him leave. And I'm like, oh, I do have his keys and wallet. There you go. <laughs> so it's how, time how, to stop probably talking about the week and talking about our guest. Well, you know, for sure, because today's guest is uh, checks a lot of boxes. Tons of boxes. So go ahead. It's like, like she doesn't know. Well, I think I mentioned it to her at one point in time when she was talking in front of like a bunch of teams. And I geeked out over Wendy a long time ago. So Wendy Dillinger is with us. Hi, Wendy. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm wonderful. And don't Thank let you. that sweet voice let you, you know, <laughs> when, you, you, when you enter... Where were we? It was like up at a North Vet, a Cottaville or something, long, long time ago. You know, back when Sean McAteer was playing, and I don't remember who else. Uh, Liz, Liz uh, Kissling, and and all the the names and people were just like we were old enough to be out of the the really competitive younger stuff, but not old enough to not play. And somehow got an indoor team in there. One of those holiday things where it's you know beer drinking and and playing, but the playing gets he did and there was sometimes if you're smart you get some college people on your team for legs well you get your ice from the beer bucket exactly yes. and uh, Wendy was on one of the other teams I'm like oh this is I've heard of her for such a long time never got to play with her and then she threw me into the boards <laughs> oops with, with a sweet voice though. You're, you're very, very sweet I'm like damn she hip check like nobody's business I'm like well, she's still the real deal <laughs> But every once in a while, you think, like, you, you look at your opponent, right? You're like, where can I get him? I'm like, uh, usually my thing was I'll get him on speed. Nope. No. no <laughs> so just trying to stay day. far. I just try to stay far away. So I'm going to go on this side. Who wants to mark this side? Who wants to mark this Wendy? Who wants it? Not me. But everybody said not it. So that was unfair. <laughs> so it sounds like she was afraid of you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it, totally. With what speed I had, I used it to run away. <laughs> Awesome. But it was a fun time. It was one of those, you know, kind of ass kicking tournaments where you mm -hmm. where you remember like, see, there's little pieces of me. And then later we're all sitting afterwards with beer going, I am so sore. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. So you are um, you were grew up on the wrong side of the wrong river, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a start there. loaded so way to put it. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a Jared Bertrand reference right there. Uh, St. Charles. You yes. grew up in St. Charles. I did grow up in St. Charles. Um, so, you, I mean, you clearly, you know, for those of us that, that know you, know of your past, and, you know, and there's this thing called Wiki. Yeah, you got to look that it up. Cheat, that allows us all to correct, cheat, though. too. Is it correct? You've I'm been correct. in and around the game your whole life. Whole life. So let's just, if you don't mind, let's just kind of paint a picture of uh, the early years, your early clubs, you know, and then, and then we can transition into college, et cetera, but kind of give our listeners an idea of you know, background and pathway a little bit. Well, and because St. Charles too, I find it is in and of itself its own beast of a nature. Like it, it doesn't always, if you are not in St. Charles, you might be familiar with certain clubs and stuff, but if you're in St. Charles, there are other names that float around there and the way they run their, their youth and, and mm -hmm. CYC. So you played all the way back to CYC, right? CYC is where I started. Um, I started at, it was St. Elizabeth and Seton back then, started there. St. Cletus was built. So I moved to St. Cletus in third grade, but that's where I got my start was playing CYC soccer. And it was very competitive and intense at that point. 
Um, I went to a Bush soccer camp at Soccer Park the summer after third grade, and Jan and Joan Gattemeyer were there. Um, I think they were the two first women inducted in the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame as players. Um, So they found me at camp, invited me to come try out for their team, which was Coke in Northern County. How old were you at that time? Heading into fourth grade. So it was the summer. Yeah. That's about, like, I find like that was about like the normal time, at least for girls in the game. Mine was also around third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. You know, not (laughs) when we're three. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Um, So I started playing for Coke, and it was a little bit of an older team. I think they were a year older than me, most of them. Um, but it was competitive, and it was a higher level than I played, um, so I had to adapt and adjust. Um, but Jan and Joan saw something in me, and honestly, they were incredible mentors, great coaches, but just great mentors. I still actually am in touch with Joan Gettemeyer on a regular basis. So they, no. are, they, they like give me; they're super cool too. So mm-hmm. you know, you guys on your on the Soccer Dad Pod have you know people that you look up to, and the Gettemeyers were were people that we look towards. Where it's like, oh my God, there's a Gettemeyer twin. It, it, is there any <laughs> any relationship to Ed Gettemeyer? Remember him, the goalie? I don't know. I don't know From that Baldwin, either. I want to say I heard the answer was no, but I'm not sure if that's correct. Okay, just curious. Yeah. So so the Gettemeyer. So were they your coaches? They run the club. Like they like were at the club level or at like individual team level. Probably the team level, I would imagine. They were still playing at UMSL at the time. Oh, wow. Yep, so, so I remember yeah, going a, to watch them That's play. really unusual for that time, I think, mm-hmm. to have, one, female coaches, two, that were not not saying that not just a mom, but they were, like, actively playing in the game as collegiate players. Yes. Unusual to have that yes. combination. They were, they were incredible with us. They were teaching us things about the game I'd never learned. And it's funny because I can still remember some of the activities we did. And years later, the light came on. And I was like, oh, that's what they meant. That's what they were talking about. So was it when you were coaching or like later no, in your playing, playing? Later playing. And then obviously coaching them. I just would remember details about things that they would, they would discuss with us and teach us. Incorporated in the way I teach as well. So you moved in from Coke, because I know you've been, many of us played, right, for several. Mm-hmm. You would play for different beverages or you would play for... Or whatever, hey, whatever it was Start at the off time. on the soda side and the you soda? gravitate to the uh, beer Move side. Move to the beer side. Um, <laughs> but you played also JB Marine, correct? Yes. JB Marine girl. And, and I was with, so Coke turned into Norco. Right. Same team, but just, so, just They moved yep. the club? Okay. And then I went to Jamestown Stars. There is a name. So Jamestown Stars and White Star, which turned into JB Marine. So the last year of White Star... Jamestown and White Star had a huge battle that year. And then Mike Vane got involved with JB Marine and then players from Jamestown left, went to JB, and then that's when that history started. Wow. That's and I joined incredible. them two years later. That's incredible. And and like everybody that I talk to that's our around our age with, with JB Marine, I feel like most everybody's had had a great experience there when it was in its build form, when it was mm-hmm. coming to you know, it's a little bit different now. I've got a 12-year-old that plays for it, so it's boys and girls, mm-hmm. but it was a girls only at the it time, It was right? girls only. It was, and it was one team per age group. Remember that? And <laughs> it was 20 true, teams true, per age True group. select. Yes. True select. True select, and it was, I just remember, I, I joined them at U19, and it was U19 and U17 training together. We would train together a lot, and that U17 team was very good. They had Tracy Gross, Ann Kerber, a lot of players from that era, and I think they won three titles, three three titles with that group. Wow! So it was amazing just to be around so many talented female players. Was that your final uh, select team? Like as you went through, they you ended kind of select with them. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and I continued to play for JB 
freshman year of college, summer after the freshman year of college. Now that's also, I feel like, unheard of anymore. Very, very rare. Yeah, no, no, they don't really do it anymore. But back then, I mean, especially, you know, for those of us, because I was 17 going into my freshman year of college. So I had room, you know, because they were still doing the uh, birth year. Or no, they were doing the school, school year. year split. And, you know, that was fun, though. I mean, those teams got to assume, well, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, fill the gap between kind of intro to club and making your way through the teams. You know, uh, we'll get into Indiana and your college years mm-hmm. in a second. Uh, talk about your high school years. Um, you know, where, where did you go to school? Did you, did you play on the team? Assuming, because obviously academies didn't really exist then. What was, what was your landscape like in, the, in that 15, 16, 17 year going into college? So I did go to St. Charles West High School. Um, played for them, and ironically enough, my team from St. Cletus, we were really good. We were undefeated for three years, and the whole team went to St. Charles West. So my freshman year at St. Charles West, we had nine freshmen. Oh man, that made for on a the power senior group eventually. For sure, but, and I don't, I don't have the statistics, I never saw them, but what our coach had told us was the program had only won one game up to that point, and it was a forfeit. So we came in and changed the landscape. Um, freshman year. We made it to state our junior year. Um, semifinal, we lost to Incarnate Word, powerhouse. Yeah, right. Um, just to get there was amazing. Um, we had to go through St. Teresa's in Kansas City. We beat them in a great game. Um, we were up on Incarnate Word, one nothing in the semifinal until the last 15 minutes, and Sarah Burkett showed up, <laughs> scored three <laughs> goals in the last 15, and you know, it was, it was an eye-opener for the team, but it was a great experience. Um, Bob Johnson was our coach the first two years, and then Mark Oley came in my junior and senior year um, and raised the level. But it was I, – I always was surrounded by incredible people as coaches. Um, learned a lot about the game, but also just, just good people, good genuine people. So I was very fortunate. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so when you – any thoughts? I'm curious because things have changed, right? You, mm-hmm. we, you and I both have kids who play. We've both coached. We've been at different clubs around the area that, you know, the battle between do you play high school, do you not play high school, that's a tough one. I don't mm-hmm. know how hard it is for the boys. Maybe it's just as hard but there being a fall season in high school. But I know it's tough on the girls, particularly because usually in the spring and then leading into summer, there are tons of finals going on. Everybody has a final. NPL is a final. ECNL is a final. GA, all of them. And it can be it can be challenging to play the high school, even if you're at the top high school in St. Louis, and then you know come back and, and play club or decide not to do or go one way or the other. Was it the same way for you? No, there was no club option. Yeah, you played high school. That's what you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what did we? But we I remember we played club. We just played in a different the other part of the season. Then I feel like well, I, I didn't have to make that choice either. I'm trying to remember why. So, was State Cup, obviously, there weren't all these high-level platforms like there are now. So, State Cup was the big event that everybody was prepping for. And I do remember there being a divide. Sometimes we played in the fall, and then there were other times we played in the spring when high school was over, and there was a debate about what's the right way to do it. Because, obviously, when you're in high school, you come back, you have a week or two with your team, and now you're going to play State Cup. So... It didn't make a lot of sense as a club, like club season right. that you would play in the spring. To get into the groove yes. again. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have to make that choice? You, you were able to play for the high school the entire time. Yes. And now we're finding, I mean, I know it, 
Marin is a, a freshman, so I'm learning a little bit about, you know, she doesn't know, and that's great. It's not for a while now, but what she wants to do is kids are really going through what feels like should be a college-level decision mm-hmm. in high school sometimes mm-hmm. about which do I do. And, you know, curious as to your thoughts about that, having kids who play and have had to make their own choices and decisions. Well, we, we've had an interesting year with Braden, who has been with City for the last two years. He's a senior at Whitfield this year. This is Braden Sellers, by the way. So, you know, you've probably seen him play. <laughs> everybody, everybody, we have his signature at home. <laughs> but he's, he's been with City. He's done well. Um, but he was he just very compelled to play high school this season. Um, and he had those very mature conversations with, with City, and he's playing high school right now. In what high school, Ian? For he's at Whitfield. Whitfield, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and he wants to primarily what, play with his friends. I want to I play with my guys. I want to represent my school. Or? Represent the school. They've been so supportive of him the last seven years. Um, missing school, traveling with City, traveling with City 2. Um, and they've really bent academically to support him and enable him to be successful in the classroom and pursue his his soccer dreams and he just he thought it was this year they need him um he wears the badge you know the city badge on the chest and he plays for city and he wears the whitfield chest you know badge on his chest and he said they need me right now i need to do this for my community so that's what he's doing well, I, what a conversation to have, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been really lucky, um, you know, because when we talked on the uh, telephone prior to booking this, you know, I, I made it clear on that call. I, I'm a fan. I, I love the way your son plays. Um, just really an exciting, energetic, very... In, in, uh, he, 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 he's a North Star when he's out there. So kudos to you, you know, from a parent standpoint. He's a banger. <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, he also, like, he's he's at that age, and I know that you guys, uh, you know, he's in that college process. Mm-hmm. He's, he's made a decision mm-hmm. as to where he wants to go. A lot of, the, lot of those pieces are in place. How much of, to a degree, that stability, that knowing what the next step is going to be a year, you know, from now as he goes on to his college career, uh, how much did that come into the equation for you guys as a family to to fight for the high school participation and was that a large role minor role because you guys have some x factors going on there i would say we were we were torn you know i think understanding the value of the high school experience and understanding how passionate he was about wanting to give back to the community that supported him and enabled him to be where he is it's hard not to support that, even though we know that from a developmental standpoint, soccer specifically probably wasn't the best idea. However, leadership, teamwork, attacking the game from a different vantage point, understanding his role is different now, he's learning a lot. So while it may not be the highest level of play, he's learning and he's developing in other areas, I think, that are going to benefit him and where he goes next. Um, he had several conversations with Kevin Kalish at SLU, which is where he's committed to go next year. Um, and he wanted to make sure that Kevin was on board and that everybody was on board with his decision. He didn't just make a unilateral decision. So we were there. We advised him. We supported him. But even for Chris and I, I mean, both sides of the fence for us. It was very difficult for us to help him make that decision. We're just more supporting his decision. Because you yourself, have, and, and you are a part of running high-level soccer, so you understand 
what it's like to have girls and boys playing in the you know the clubs and at the highest levels of the clubs and knowing that I'm going to make high schools mad here but when when you do step away mm-hmm. and even even if, again if you're at the the best program that has the nine power seniors or whatever you're still stepping away um, I found you know with you you just you're stepping away from your group and when you step away from your group and you step out of the rhythm and you come back and in two or three weeks we got to go to nationals or whatever it is you you can lose a step you can possibly get it back but you you do have some sacrifices that you have to then make up for for sure and being in a different environment where his role really is is to try to score and create goal scoring opportunities for this team because he's known there's two or three players on him every game so it's it's hard yeah versus when he's playing for city he's he's not drawing that type of attention so he's having to learn to deal with that and figure out how to get other people involved in the game um which is new for him and it's harder and and i might i might propose that it can be harder for players you you can put them on a team which they're the stud of their Mm -hmm. star and that can actually be harder for them Mm -hmm. than playing amongst peers or those who are better because you can play, or you can you can rely on your team to do some of the other work as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're not, you you kind of have to do most of it or figure out how to make other people around you successful that aren't at your level. Right, and I think I think the style of play and the speed of play are the two things that are different. Plus, just the pressure. I mean, there is pressure there for him that he hasn't experienced yet, um, and it's it's he's learning. He's also getting hit a lot more and dealing with what that is. I mean, he's coming, you know, coming off an ankle injury, not severe, but definitely is impacting him. Um, and he's having to figure out how to handle that. How do you stay supportive? At the same time, there's probably a piece of you, if you're, if, like, like I told you so, but also, you know, you're also wanting to be, you have to be supportive mm-hmm. and you also have to let them sit with the results of their choice mm-hmm. and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he is, and he's figuring it out. Um, but it's, it's good experience. You know, it's good maturing experience for him and definitely being supportive. But I'm also pushing him a little bit harder than I know he's being pushed right now. I mean, there is an expectation on our part that we're holding him accountable to what the standard is. So if he gets the chance to return, which we're hopeful that that happens. Standard from a soccer standpoint? Yes. Okay. Work rate. Um, discipline. You know, he's really focused. When on both tech. your parents know what it's supposed to be. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, because I, I really want to tear another layer off here because, okay. I mean, from a pure soccer standpoint, you know it. I, I believe I know it. You know, when you look at the decision from just soccer, like it, 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 it is a step down from a pure soccer perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love the idea of focusing on kind of that uh, emotional growth, that leadership experience, mm-hmm. uh, struggling. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you learn empathy. When you're on a team that loses mm-hmm. or is not expected to win all the time, you, you, you start to empathize with your teammates, things like that. So, I mean, he's experiencing something that realistically in the city environment, you know, because we talked, my son's on the 16 team, obviously, mm-hmm. Jin, your daughter's at GA, mm-hmm. Fuse. I mean, these kids have skills that are not, they're, they're normal, but they're above normal. And mentally, they just kind of compete at a level. So here's my question. When, with this experience, um, how, how have you guys from, you know, ex- expecting his parents and him as, I mean, he's a competitive player. Mm-hmm. 
how how do you guys handle the reality that the environment and some matchups in these games they're not that level of competition he's got to find it from within how do you do that well we had a lot of prepping we had a lot of conversations ahead frustration you got to manage your frustration you cannot demonstrate body language that you're frustrated you can't quit you can't check out when it gets hard and it's not working um, you can't do that. You've got to find another way. Um, you know, the big thing for me with him is, yes, you want to attack. Yes, you want to score. You still have to play the defensive side of the ball. And that's been my big push with him right now. You get stripped, you should be the first one chasing the ball down. You know, teammate tries to play you a ball. It doesn't work out. It gets picked off. you got to get your butt back. You know, so just really emphasizing with him that you've got to play both sides of the ball and be disciplined. And you know how City plays. <laughs> High press. Right. Yeah, we're familiar. You know, like you still have to do that work, right? You can't get away with because you have a team of players who will cover for you. You still got to do that work. So that's been my big message for him. Um, and just like figuring out mentally how to overcome the challenges in the moment because he's, he has a lot of them. That's really interesting. And I, yeah, that what you we probably don't see, you can, well, anybody can go to the game and you can see it physically. What you probably don't see is the mental part of mm -hmm. it, of him trying to manage what his expectations can be of not only his team, but himself and then the process and what he can potentially get out of it, which is the ultimate goal. If you're going to do something like this, let's get something out of it. So the interesting part of this, he was going to all of their practices, even though he couldn't participate fully. He still went to every Whitfield practice while he is still with City too. He couldn't compete in contact. He would do the fitness, he would do the ball skills, he was supporting them. In the first three games of the Whitfield season, he wasn't cleared yet to play. So he was sitting on the bench as an assistant coach, student assistant. And you know? what a weird experience it is mm -hmm. for like a stud. Like he's, he's, we've got a signature. So <laughs> in his mother, you were, if anybody missed Ben Hawkman's play in, in Down Near City, mm -hmm. Wendy's name was there a lot amongst Gettemeyer's, amongst many of the brass that we hear on the men's side of the game. And here he is as the, you know, City 2 player who my son went and asked for his autograph and your son looked surprised, like, should I sign the shirt? We're like, yeah, you should sign the shirt. You played, come on, let's get on. And and he's just a high schooler in a way. Like, how what a, what a contrast that is for such a young emerging adult. It is, it is a contrast. Um, you know, they both, so both of our kids, Kayla too, she's 14, um, plays at a high level, but they both were on a college bench until I left UMSL. They were on the bench at Iowa State. They were in the film room. They were in the locker room. They were in there at halftime. So they, they saw it. They were immersed in it. The messages, good, and the tough ones. And they heard it all. And even at UMSL, when he was a little older, he would sit on the bench and say, hey, Mom, what do you think about this? Did you see this? He's throwing things at me. I wasn't seeing. <laughs> like, little, okay. little assistant coach mm -hmm. before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I just think being immersed in it and seeing the different levels, and even when the men would play at UMSL, you know, Dan King's teams, he would, he would sit and he was analytical and he was looking and learning. And he's just, he's always absorbed so much from every experience he's had. He, he was, he played in the Milk Cup with GPS. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with GPS. It's no longer in existence, but it was Global Premier Soccer. I remember hearing about it. So they, the way they functioned was interesting. But if you didn't play for their club, you could still get involved in their national team program, almost like ODP, similar to that. So he, he was invited to their 
national team tryout for that club. He made it. So we took him to Northern Ireland, and he played with a group of boys he knew nothing about in another country, and he was with them. We went, but he didn't stay with us. So he was on his own, really, and making his way. How old was he at that time? 12. 12. So in Ireland, he was drinking and smoking. And no. <laughs> <laughs> not no. a mom's watch. No, no he, uh, he's, not in, he's not a partier. He's not into but, any of that but stuff. But you know that... Hopefully it stays that way. JB, you remember from our last episode that we recorded with Jen Brooks, AD over at Ursuline Academy, um, she talked about it's kind of that legacy. You know, mm-hmm. she her dad was an athletic director. She spent her time on football benches and being in, yeah. you know, she couldn't be in the locker room, but outside the locker room or in doing some of the chalk talk and being a part of that legacy that not everybody gets to have from maybe non-playing parents mm-hmm. to grow up and just that becomes a part of their reality mm-hmm. and how they think and how they look at that sport or any sport that both of them got to grow up as you were coaching at Umsel and you coached in, in other places as well mm-hmm. besides playing at Indiana University and still holding records there, I think. Yes. Stands, it still stands. Yeah, it still stands. yeah girl. <laughs> they are having an incredible year, though. They are undefeated right now, the IU Ooh. women, 9 and 2 um, they do have a player who's, who's on track to break the single-season record, which I don't hold. Tracy Gross holds that. She's from St. Charles as well. Um, you know, the Lewis. career one's going to take a little <laughs> bit, I think. But if they continue on the path that they are on, hopefully. And that's the thing. You need records to be broken for programs to advance. Well, so I'm like waiting. Yeah. Come on, somebody get this done. <laughs> somebody. And then you get to give me on the field and like handshake this person be and be awesome. honored, I hope. <laughs> so, so just to set the table a little bit, we'll back up because the listener is trying to piece together mm-hmm. this part. You you leave St. Charles West. Mm-hmm. Um, you you're being recruited. Mm-hmm. Were, were you recruited by a lot of schools, or what? What was that process? And talk about landing at IU. So it's interesting because I'm the first person in my family to go to college. So we knew nothing, knew nothing. Um, back then, and it was my senior year. We had what was called the Misa Classic. Do you remember that? I do. Um, mm-hmm. And that was just a showcase event that St. Louis put on for the juniors and seniors. And a lot of coaches were coming because at that time there weren't events, you know, no. like that. Right. Um, so I, I was contacted by a few schools. Duke, Notre Dame were two of the bigger ones. Um, yeah, heard of them. Yeah. But we didn't, I didn't know. And we didn't have internet. Right? No, and there's no Instagram no. highlight reels. You're, wait, you're waiting for the kitchen phone to ring. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the cords with long the rotary enough. dial phone. <laughs> right. Yes, right. And, and hoping that your parents pay for you know call waiting. Yeah, right, right. So you can get a phone. Oh, I'm, the phone's clicking. I have another call, and then you press down the handle that normally hangs up, and then it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Pep. I have uh, Josie Mourinho on the other line. <laughs> One second, please. <laughs> Switch it up. <laughs> it was interesting, um, but Indiana decided in, I think fall of 1992 to start a women's program in the fall of 1993. Joe Kelly was my coach. He started the program. He was on the men's side. He's from also from St. Louis, mm-hmm. but he went to IU um, from junior college here in St. Louis. He stayed on staff he, at Indiana. Wasn't he a Yeagley assistant? Yes, or, yeah. mm-hmm, for a long time. So when they started the women's program, he got the nod to start that. Um, and I'll never forget, he came to watch me play basketball, high school basketball. We weren't playing soccer at that time. Uh, right. You were, so, you were out of season. You yep. were into a different season. Mm-hmm. It sounds weird to people nowadays. <laughs> so he, he came, watched me play high school basketball, came to our house, did an in-home visit, which I don't even think happens anymore. Oh, man. I, I, I don't think I even had an in-home. Yeah. Phone calls, yes, yes, but not an in-home yep. visit. So he came in, sat down, talked to the family. Um, Mike Vane and Joe Kelly 
had a connection. So that's really that was my foot in the door. It's kind of Never your saw reference. Me play soccer. So, so let, whoa. So, so tell us. Tell it was reference built then. Yes. And and athleticism mm-hmm. probably saw you being an athlete. Yes. Right. So so you you mentioned that you were the first to go to college. Mm-hmm. Talk about talk about that meeting. You're sitting there with your parents. I'm assuming like. How how proud were they? What what was that moment like where they knew that their daughter, you know, has checked boxes to the point? I'm assuming there was quite a bit of pride, you know, uh, on, th- on the couch there that day. I think I think so. Uh, I think my mom was pretty proud. She also thought Joe was pretty cute, so she was enamored. <laughs> so those were tears of lust, not tears of joy. <laughs> She'd kill me for saying that. She's like, I have eyeballs. Yeah. Um, but I think just more, just appreciative of the opportunity. And I will tell you, Joe made a connection with our family right away. Like we knew he was going to take care of me, that she was going to leave me in good hands, sending me, you know, to Indiana. Um, and and Joe recruited a lot of players from St. Louis at that time, and he took very good all of his players, but of of the St. Louis players in particular. I mean, Indiana took a lot of players on both sides yes. of the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I think that that's something that yeah. hasn't changed over the years is. Any parent, no matter where their their kid's going to go, whether they're going to play or not, wants to know, will my kid be taken Mm -hmm. care of? Will Mm -hmm. my 18-year-old, barely an adult, who thinks they know everything, but they don't, will they be in a place, in an environment that stokes their personality, that it's there for them? And if they do have a coach, you know, Mm -hmm. can they sort of be a parental figure? Um, I don't think that that's changed since our time. No, I agree. Um, but I'm not so sure that all the coaches are putting as much into building those relationships and building that trust. I'd agree with that for sure. Which is why you see kids end up leaving and transferring because they didn't really do a thorough job in the process to make sure that this is the right fit. Well, the landscape has just shifted so much and, um, you know, ex- exponentially on the men's side, mm-hmm. obviously with so many outlets for uh, level of play beyond college and then obviously the transfer portal mm-hmm. and foreign players and on the women's side it's starting to accelerate you can see more opportunities mm-hmm. arising and and just the the light is being sh- shined brighter on those programs um but i gotta ask you <laughs> as a Hoosier, as a record-holding <laughs> Hoosier. And actually not a St. Louis <clears throat> name Hoosier, but a real mascot. Hoosier. She knows what I'm talking about. Uh, when your son chooses the Billikens, did it stick a little dagger in the side? Does he need a place to live? A a place I mean. to live? <laughs> More than a few. <laughs> um, it's interesting because we've had a good relationship with Kevin Kalish for sure. a long time. He Kevin actually Kalish. saw Braden play at nine years old when he was with Missouri Rush. Yeah and recruited him into the the Gallagher program. So he has he's been in, you know, involved in his development and his growth. So for Braden to decide to play for Kevin Kalish, I mean, we're ecstatic about that. Did did he tell you from the street? He's like, "Mom, I got something to tell you." <laughs> Bye. You stay on the porch. No, actually. So <laughs> he went he went to SLU on a visit and then he was given a pretty tight timeline to make a decision. He flew to West Point. Um, oh wow! He was very interested in that path as well, and then he was planning to go to Indiana the next week, but we had to move the visit up to be within the timeline. And the GA program was playing in Indianapolis, so Kayla was playing there. So mm-hmm. Braden flew from West Point to Indianapolis. Chris drove him down to Bloomington for his visit. I met them when the tournament was over, and finished the visit with him at Indiana. And we were pulling off of campus. He's like, "I'm not going to school here." 
I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm like, and I have to drive did, home. Did, did you start dry, crying right there? No, <laughs> I didn't. I just was like speechless. No tears. I mean, ultimately, it's his experience. Sure. What was it? Did he tell you? Like, he did. It, like, like the environment just didn't fit for him, or school is really big, and he goes to a small school. Mm. He was concerned about it being so big, and he is very academically driven. Indiana's a great university academically, but I just think he felt like he was going to get lost there. Um, but it was difficult because he has gone to IU camp every summer except for COVID summer for like six years, built a great relationship with the Yegley family and the staff there. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be rough. Oh, wow. Um, you know, but ultimately he was, he was set that that's what he wanted to do. And I mean, yeah, it was tough for me. Well, I mean, he, <laughs> seems, sure. he seems exceptionally self-aware of these situations mm-hmm. from school to making these decisions. You know, you talked about how you and your husband kind of focused on like, we're going to have rules if you're going to make this decision to play at Whitfield. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, for parents that are listening, because a lot of our listeners have kids that are close to this decision-making process or coming up through the pipe, what would you say is one of the tips and or tricks to allow the child to thrive athletically, but at the same time, keep a magnifying glass on these types of characteristics? Because that's not really normal. I mean, it's, it's good. We all think that our kids are mm-hmm. self-aware and advocate, et cetera. But did you guys, did you put a lot of effort into that side of his development in your daughter's development? So from the beginning, more with him than Kayla, but... From the beginning, Chris demanded respect. You know, when I was coaching at Iowa State, I was hardly ever home. And that's one of the reasons I left that level, because I wanted to be around my children. Um, But he just, he demanded respect in the way he talked to his teachers, the way he talked to his peers. And that's just what has been ingrained in him and and Kayla. But she saw it more with Brayden. But just the whole concept of team, you know, being around the college environment, listening to us talk having conversations, planning meetings, um, team building activities, and them seeing how important it is to be a leader and to put your team first, even if that means that you're putting yourself second at times. Um, so they both, they both are very aware of that and how important that is. Um, we do a lot of leadership building with the teams that we coach, um, and they're, they're part of that. They, they see all of that. They understand that. Um, and we have lots of conversations about it. How can you support your teammates? You know, we talked about the 09s, and, you know, Kayla was very big part of trying to get that group pulled together and moving in the right direction. And it's, it's kind of challenging as a kid, you know, when you have a different perspective. Um, but I think for us, because we lived it, Chris coached with me. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. But Chris coached with me for like 15 years of my college coaching career. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yep. Now, I knew later. I didn't know the college career part. Yes. Though. Yep. So he was my assistant, my goalkeeper coach at WashU. So your kids are growing up seeing, you know, mom and dad, yes. not just as part of the game separately, but together as a unit. Yes. And often dinner conversations, weekend <laughs> conversations. <laughs> was the respect for authority derived from potentially him being a referee? <laughs> Chris? Yes. Um, no, honestly, he was the, kind of a hellion the, as a kid. <laughs> And his mother laid the hammer down. Okay. Yep. Oh, there and you he'll go. tell you stories. Like he, he was a handful, but just from his mom, really. That's really interesting. And the the one thing too, and I think that that came to mind when you were saying that. I feel the same way as you about you know, this is a team sport, mm-hmm. soccer, and, and any team sport doesn't matter which one. Um, it, even pros have to balance the personal drive achievement. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want minutes. 
I want to be the score, goal scorer or the assister. I want to do the things. Mm-hmm. But w- it's a hard environment now, I think, because I don't think it's always just kid-driven. Many times it's parent-driven. It's, mm-hmm. you know, a kid moves into a club or or now is going to be on the varsity team and, and comes in with, with expectations of my kid's going to start, my kid's going to play this position, they've always been a striker or whatever. And it doesn't always work that way. And to, to have, man, to have a team of, of great soccer players mm-hmm. but who are who put, I used to call it team uh yeah, team first, yeah, coach. You know, team first. I think that's hard to come by in these days. It is, and it's a skill. It has to be worked on. It has to be mentioned, and the team has to do it together. It can't. It can't really be an individual thing. They've got to do it together. It can't even be coach because no. the the drives from practice mm-hmm. and games mm-hmm. are where anything you try to build as a coach can be broken. Well, I remember distinctly, Kayla. One of the first times she played here in St. Louis was at Skysa. And she took the ball away from her teammate and went to score. And her teammate started crying. So after the game, and I wasn't mean, but after the game, I said, hey, listen, I know you want to score. I'm like, but you also want your teammates to score. And she's like thinking about it. And I could see the light in her head. She's like, okay. The wheels turning. Right. But it just, it, they really learn so much from us. And as parents, it's so important that we're sending the same messages and we're supporting the team environment and the coaches and they have to be part of the process. And I do think sometimes coaches want to eliminate the parents. You have to include the parents. Yeah. It's a team. That's a team too. Player, club, coach. Yeah, there are secondary coaches yes. and they are parents. Yes, you need them on your side. Yeah. And to be a part of that messaging, to know I remember at times, you know, when you have a kid playing mm-hmm. your spot and you're like, I know how to run that. Like I know what they should be doing right now. And you could likely be right, but at the same time be wrong mm-hmm. because maybe that's not what the coach and the team is trying to achieve at this moment. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if I'm telling her cut in or do whatever. It could be right on another day, but if it's not right today as a parent, I'm ruining mm-hmm. the team, you know, and talking with her on the way home, like, why did you do that? Or why didn't you take the ball yourself? And those conversations, even though it seems like they tune us out and they try to, mm-hmm. uh, they hear it. They do. And it influences them. They do. Yep. And you can see it with the younger ones, especially when they're looking for affirmation from the sideline. Mm-hmm. It's tough. They want that ice cream that got promised for a hat trick, right? <laughs> we, we just had this conversation the other day. We were at, <clears throat> we were at the fields and uh, I, I was walking past a game and it was one of the little 7v7, 9v9. It was a girls game. And... I don't know what happened to play in the box. I'm just walking by, and I can hear the parents going nuts. And when I looked over, six of the seven girls were slowly jogging in the direction they're supposed to be going, but they're staring at their parents. They're like, they're not even looking at the flow of play. So, and it was like one of these snapshot moments in my head. I'm like, that's what's wrong. Like, these kids, there's too much pressure. Mm-hmm. My question to you is, as, as a club coach, as a mm-hmm. director... How do you, in today's environment in which parents, you know, are sideline coaching more than they ever have, how do you manage that within your teams, within your people, the the players, um, to try and control that level of, you know, balancing parent education, parent involvement, and just please be quiet for a little bit. So setting expectations right off the bat and then continuing those messages. And when things do happen, you have to be willing to address them in a respectful way. Um, that's the hard part. That's right the there. hard part. Now, I will tell you, I've had moments where I've had to send a message in the group chat during a game. Please stop yelling at the players on the field. Please stop coaching during the game. Or the ref. 
We're yelling at the yes, ref. Yes, the ref as well. Um, mostly somewhat that, but mostly mostly at the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's happened, those parents have owned it and said, I'm sorry. And then they work to fix it. And it's none of us are perfect, right? So I think just educating them and then talking to the player even. You know, hey, how's this going? Do you need help? Because sometimes they need help talking to their parents if that's bothering them. Isn't that funny that you say that? Because many times I think as parents we think, they need help to talk to their coach when in fact they might also need a little support in saying, Hey mom or dad, mm-hmm. like I need to like, this is not the way I want to ride to the game, or this is not what I want to talk about right after a game, or this is not what I want to hear from a sideline. Well, I think parents too, aren't looking long-term because a college coach is not going to want to recruit a player, no matter how talented she is. If the parents are going to be baggage, yeah. they don't want that. I didn't want that. Uh, say that one more time for the cheap <laughs> Yeah, so you didn't want the daily phone call. No, that why is my you know? No, and it's when they get to college, there will be times that you you're interacting with parents, especially if it's a wel- welfare issue, but not when it's coming to playing time or their academics. You know, it's the, the player has to stand on her own. She's a young woman now, or a young young man, and they need to be able to stand on their own. And if parents are always doing everything for them up to that point, they struggle with the adjustment. That is really important, too, because you can be a good teammate and a good, I think, uh, player for your team and learn how to self-advocate. But you're not only going to do that if we let you do that. Correct. Even at a young age, if they're just as small as just saying goodbye to their coach or hello to their coach, where you start to have little conversations or they sometimes will get in the car. I remember when mine were a little younger and be like, I don't know why I'm playing such and such. And remember at first being like, yeah, I wonder why I should talk to the coach. And the better, the better response is, why don't, have you asked them? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't know if I could ask them. They're, they're your coach. I, I've put, I put you in their care. Mm-hmm. If you need some advice or need a little help on what you might want to say, I think we can help with that. Mm-hmm. But the, the earlier they can self advocate and be curious and ask questions and then sometimes learn to deal with the response you don't want to get right and, and work with it. Mm-hmm the better they'll be for later when they've got no choice but to do that because the college coach is not taking your parents' call. No. <laughs> <laughs> or responding to email or text. <laughs> so, so give us a little bit of the landscape, current landscape for you. What <clears throat> You've recently uh, shifted over to a new club. Talk mm-hmm. about the new club. Talk about your role there. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of vision or how it's going out of the gate and what's, what's coming next at the club. So Missouri Rush... It's interesting because when we first moved back to the area from Iowa State, um, we moved to St. Charles, literally right up the street from where I grew up. Um, (laughs) And Missouri Rush was the club nearby. Braden was five, and we knew we needed to get him involved. So we went there. He jumped on a team. Chris jumped on staff, started helping coach. Um, And we were there for two, three years, and then we moved to Gallagher, but it's the transformation has been tremendous. I mean, they've done a really good job to get that program up and running. Um, and they actually have some competitive teams now. So the girls platform at the highest level they play in right now is the ECNL regional league. They won two national championships in that 2010s, 2007. So I'm in and around all of those teams. I'm not a head coach of any of them, but I'm helping support them. I am the director of college recruitment and retention. And the retention. retention. There you go. Yep, is important. So retaining teams, retaining players, but also helping the college kids stay where they're at. You know, if they need support, 
while they're there if they're struggling. Playing oh, time. you mean for when they're in college yes. and they're like, hey, co- former coach Wendy yep. or whoever, I'm struggling here. I don't know if I want to stay yes. working with them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, trying to be a resource for them to help them through those struggles because they're going to be struggles. Sure, you're, you're away from home. It is, and it's just new. You know, you may have been the big fish on your team, and now you're in a big lake with a lot of big fish. How do you adjust? How so, do you adapt? So I'm su- super curious then, um, you know, because this this is another one of those subjects that's become evergreen within our circles of uh, managing parent expectation, but also managing the parent player expectation as to what what what's their path? What level? Are you a high level D1 or are you look, go D2 if you want to play soccer, mm-hmm. otherwise choose a school for academics. How, how do you manage uh, developing this program at Rush, you know, do you have a process as far as uh, measuring, evaluating, or kind of ranking talent and making it commensurate with appropriate level? So I don't know the players that well yet to be able to really distinctively say where they should be placed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about educating them. You know, a lot of people think D1, 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 right? Well, I've coached at D1, D2, D3, all great experiences. Everyone has a home somewhere if you want to play. But the question is, too, what do you want out of the experience? Do you want to play right away? And then you have to look at the programs they're looking at, and is this realistic, and what does their roster look like? How many players do they have in your position? What are the, their ages? Yeah, what style of play? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's the, the the positional thing is another one. I mean, like oh, these are super basic. Like, do a little bit of homework. Right. You know, if you're a striker and and uh, you're going to a school and they've got a sophomore and a freshman that are both starting, mm-hmm. you're third in line, going in. Correct. So for me, it's also what do you want to do? What do you want to yeah. study? What do you, do you want to be close to home? Do you want to be far from home? Um, what type of coaching style are you going to thrive under? Because if you're not a player who can handle getting yelled at a lot, you don't want to go to some of the schools if that's the coaching style. Yeah. Right? Um, and then just also their athletic prowess. You know, if you're not if you're not a high level athlete, speed, power, height, power five's probably not gonna work out for you. Mm-hmm. And that's just a reality. So it's it's better to give them those things up front and help them through the decision process. I also for me if they're very academically driven, for instance, I just met with a young lady last week who wants to be pre-med. She's a talented soccer player, but she's med school. And like, have you, are you looking at Ivy's? You should be looking at Ivy schools. It's a better balance, um, meeting the academic rigor and still being able to play at a high level. Yeah, because those are two full-time jobs they are in two addition to jobs. your core classes. Yes, and the way that, even though it's division one, it is structured differently. Yeah than the non-Ivy division ones. Do you ever find, I was curious, I remember you actually being in front of a bunch of us as parents uh, when when our daughters were playing for the same club and, and you were talking about that because mm-hmm. you had got introduced and, and I was like, I hope everybody's listening because she's done all the levels, right? And you said, uh, paraphrasing your words, but fit, that fit was mm-hmm. so important mm-hmm. for, and then any of our kids that were sitting there could require a completely different fit. Some might really thrive under the D1, this is my job mm-hmm. more than anything else, rigor, and, and others might be just as good of a player, but that lifestyle or career choice that they're mm-hmm. thinking of or may not fit or campus size, like for your son, for Braden, you know, that kind of big versus little school, like so many variables and you get one off. And, and 
you get the shiny lights, I think, as parents. You get this stud athlete mm-hmm. and not realize that it doesn't have to be this set of 10 schools to be awesome. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't. And it's, you know, this, everybody gets enamored with this part of the process. But once you figure out where you're going, you're just starting. It's not over. And a lot of people are like, oh, wow, great. And everybody's excited for you. But then you go off on your journey and it's just you. Yeah. We do the signing. We do the pictures. Right. We're excited. Right. We've committed. Right. But we, we're, what happens, you know, once they're two months into their training and school has begun right. and they really get a smack in the face of, oh, this is what life looks like mm-hmm. when everybody's on campus now. Right. And I've got professors demanding things mm-hmm. of me. And maybe you have a work study or a job as mm-hmm. well. I don't know. You really have to enjoy the journey. You have to enjoy the training, the workouts, all of it. You have to enjoy the pieces because if you don't, you're going to be highly disappointed. It's about the journey, you know, and it's the signing day and the, like you said the pictures and the glamour and all that that goes away very fast mm-hmm. and now it's the reality of this is what my daily life is do you embrace that do you love that because if you don't you're going to be really miserable and then you you maybe are calling a retention coach to say <laughs> coach <laughs> wendy i don't know what to do here yeah and what it, are those conversations do you do you know have a lot of of conversations like that where they sound is it mostly homesickness sometimes or just it's a different kind of training or so I haven't had any of those yet. Not yet. Okay. Since I just started. Um, actually, there's a fuse player that played for me. Who's but you at coached right at those now. different levels. I bet you had players that occasionally were like, "I don't know what I'm doing." Or you catch even something players, wrong. Even players on my teams. Mm. I mean, there were players that left, and but I always, I never had anybody leave on bad terms. You know, it was always, "Let's have conversations. If this isn't the right fit, how can I help you?" Yeah. Because at the end of the day, for me, it's all about their experience. It's not about me as a coach. It's about their experience and. I think sometimes that gets lost as well. You know, you want, as a club coach for me, club director, create exceptional player experiences. And if you include the family in that, people are going to be pretty happy with with what they get most of the time. But when we start, and competitiveness and winning and all of that stuff is so important. And you know, from back in the day, I was incredibly competitive. But it has to also be enjoyable. There has to be a purpose to it. You had a tribe, you had a support system, you had things that made beyond the results, the Mm -hmm. scoring and all that, a good experience, right? Absolutely. And I think that has to be the focus in the development of these young women and young men. They have to enjoy the process and they have to have some ownership in it. I think too many times they're getting barked at and they're not given the opportunity to control their destiny. And I will say that's the one thing we've done with both of our children is we give them ownership in what they're doing. In terms of like, this is where, I mean, Kayla's really young, but, mm-hmm. but in thinking of maybe, I don't know if she's thinking about things, but Brayden, like if you want to go, go set up your visit, uh, what do you want to look for? Is it that kind of ownership or like decision-making? Some of that, um, earlier look, look at COVID, right? No, she's, yeah. so <laughs> we're three fourths of a mile from St. Charles West high school. We were up there every single day because they drove it. Yeah. Training. They drove it. <clears throat> Yep. Braden was doing all the fitness tests that Gallagher gave him, the fitness test, the technical stuff. He couldn't shoot with his left foot. Kid can shoot with his left foot now. And it's a testament to the hours that they put in, both of them, put in to develop their craft, even though it wasn't coach-led. For both of them, and Kayla especially, we homeschooled her. She took off. Well, let, let me ask you this, because obviously you, you played at the highest level, mm-hmm. yeah, both collegiately, post-college post, post college Oh, as well. yeah, don't forget the pro side of it, too, <laughs> that we haven't even touched yet, from yeah. Indiana yeah. Blaze, Fredericksburg, Atlanta Beat, St. Louis Archers, so had that 
what we had available mm -hmm. in the game as mm -hmm. a pro experience. It's, we know it's changing for the mm -hmm. good, I hope, but had that, you know, able to see life beyond college, which not everybody does college, much less plays beyond college. Mm -hmm. yeah, what, yeah. yeah, and my, and my question is, given your own personal experience and, and now obviously managing and, and, and watching your own son go through this, um, you know, because he, he, he's a one percenter, right? So the, 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 the potential life beyond not only his college choice is real. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's doing those things. He's got those skill sets. You know, that's a potential. So my question to you is, within the club environment, you know, knowing what it takes on both sides, the, the women's side and the men's side, you know, what you're seeing, how do you manage those unrealistic expectations? Because the, the, the reality is, you know, 99% of everybody else, there's a chunk of them that will, will have the opportunity to go play college, maybe get some supplemental money, maybe meet some friends, have an experience. But there's nothing beyond mm -hmm. that other than co-ed tournaments when you come home at Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. right? And given the popularity of the game, given City in our backyard, given, you know, now uh, Carolyn and team are talking about adding a women's team, that's the new rumor, right? Mm -hmm. All of these bright lights are brighter. Mm -hmm. Is is there new expectations that you have to manage as it applies to differentiating that top and realistically everybody else? I think it's important that, especially when they're young, mm -hmm. that they get to dream big. Mm -hmm. Even you know, even in college, if they have aspirations, but understanding, look, if it doesn't happen for you, you're not a failure it's still a great experience. You're still going to get amazing things Absolutely. out of it. Right. But it's, I think if they have their, their eyes set so high right. and they miss the steps in between, that's when the danger zone comes in, right? So managing the expectations, celebrating the moments when they occur is so important. It can't always be, I'm, I want to be at the pinnacle, right? Mm -hmm. You'll get there potentially by doing, hitting the steps and the milestones along the way. But even Brayden said to me, so he played in City 2's game in San Jose, coming off an injury, and he had a shocker. <laughs> he had a rough game, and he didn't play great. And he's like, you know what, maybe this isn't going to work. And that doubt creeps in. Sure. And he's, I said, it's okay if it doesn't. Like, it's okay. You're still going to have a life. He's like, yeah, I'm still going to have a good life. You know, so keeping it real so that there's, there's still that hope and that drive without that huge fall if it crash, if it doesn't work. But like, you said it right there, right? It's that parental permission and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm losing the word, but that, that parental nod that says, you're good regardless. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you're amazing with what you do. I don't care what you do or don't do. Um, I'm here for you mm -hmm. to push you and remind you of the things you tell me that are your goals. And sometimes they forget, right? Sometimes they, they, they forget and they're like, they're straying off the path and they're like, uh, you got to get on that, right? But that it, in the end of the day, I, I, I support you mm -hmm. and it, in the end, what you do doesn't matter where you end up and how you end up there. As long as we're making decisions based, not based on emotion or knee-jerk reaction, right? It yeah. needs to be, because you're going to hit some rough patches. Sure. You don't just walk away because it got tough, right? Let's look at it. Let's analyze it. Um, it's interesting. So Chris refs a lot. Both of our children referee as well. Mm -hmm. Brayden just did his first, I think, first middle of a U15 city game this weekend, and he did really well. 
And he's saying now, he's like, you know what? When I'm done playing or if it doesn't work out, I could do a career in refereeing. He's, and he, he's going, one of the reasons he picked SLU is the aviation program. He's like, I'm going to get my flight my flight certification, and then I can fly all over the country and referee. <laughs> okay. He's preaching George's dream. <laughs> right? He's like, well, I need to talk to George. He actually said that. But like, isn't it funny? Like, but, but you're right. We don't know what they're going to do. Right. But the ability to dream. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, as parents, I think sometimes we have to remind them, be like, hey, this is what, by the way, comes with that dream. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, it'll be like, ah, oh, never mind. And for some of them, they might be like, yeah, I'm all in. But like to dream and to let that dream be mm-hmm. and then remind them, like you said, or in those knee-jerk reactions where the game doesn't go right or my experience was bad to, to not make an emotional and on the, you know, off the cuff decision mm-hmm. and give it a little bit of time to go, what do we learn from this? What do we go from here? What do you want to do? What are your options? For sure. And I think too, coaches. So I, I was blessed. I had amazing coaches along the way, not just in soccer, softball, basketball, um, when I played in high school and in the youth days, but I just, Coaches need to understand how much of an impact they can make on these young people. And like, this might be the best highlight of their day or their week is coming to this training session. And for coaches to keep that in mind, like your message could resound hugely with the young people that you're working with. And that to me, I don't think I really got that in my twenties. When I first started, I get it now. But I, that's the one thing I just, coaches need to they need to keep that in mind. You don't know what that kid went through today or what the kid went through this weekend. You know, and this may be the best experience they're going to have this week. And they're more than the touch, right? right. There, there's more than the touches mm-hmm. that, that is oh, there. Oh, for there's sure. Socialization, camaraderie, um, mm-hmm. a, a little off-the-cuff uh, joke. One of my my 12-year-old's favorite experiences when, is when his coach is like, hey, Liam, what are, you, what are you up to in juggles? And Liam will give him a number, and his coach will give him one more. He's like, oh, I just got, to, I just got 153. And Liam goes home, he's like, I got to go out and juggle because <laughs> Coach Matt just said he got, and you know, he's totally pulling his leg, but it's like one of the, it's, he's, he delights in that. He mm-hmm. delights in that interaction with mm-hmm. his coach. Oh, agreed. That's, it can be huge, for sure. We're not out of time yet, are we? I did have one more question, but I don't know. If yeah, no, go ahead. Just a, I don't know if it's a quick one. It's not a quick one because if it was a quick one, it would be fixed by now. But <laughs> on the Soccer Dad pod, JB, you guys had a question that came in from um, a female listener that talked about, um, I'm getting her words right, but, you know, that she has a girl playing in ECNL versus GA, and it's very confusing, and how mm-hmm. the landscape with Carolyn Kendall kind of recently, or I don't know if media put words into her mouth, but maybe alluding to the fact that NWSL, we only have 12 pro teams. I know it's expanding right now. Right. The dreams are there. They're small yet. They're more than what you and I had. Mm-hmm. Um, any hopes and dreams for the girl side of the game or that, that kind of, I've heard anything from Brian McBride talking about it would be nice to kind of centralize things between ECNL and GA, so to speak, have a, a clearer path or understanding to NWSL. Or if your kid is dreaming for the national team, given your experience, what should it look like? If, if you could wave a magic wand, what would it look like? Well, that's tough. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's saturated right now. You know, the youth development model is it's saturated, and you have new leagues popping up here and there. And while it looks like, oh, it's too much, it's watered down, right? But it's giving girls opportunity to play at a high level or a higher level than they probably would have gotten if we kept it small. So... It's exploding and it's growing so fast right now. We just need quality. Like we need more quality 
in the spaces that our town is in. Um, and everybody's got to get on the same page, I think is the biggest thing in terms of what do we want. <laughs> and when everybody, we probably mean, we're really not even talking about the, the young person Which, in the middle of the triangle, but clubs to high schools to parents to coaches, you know, everybody in that model that surrounds the youth athlete needs to get on the same so page. Yeah. So, so, well, qu- real quick follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Uh, which will come first, that or world peace? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> you know, I, I will say, when you look at the difference between MLS next on the boys' side mm-hmm. and what's happening on the girls' side, the boys is funded. So players maybe who can't financially afford it, it's not an issue. If they're quality and they're good enough, they're going to get the opportunity. Yeah. It's not the same for girls. Nope. And that, to me, is where I think we're missing. We're and it's losing. expensive. It's so expensive. And it's, you know, having been in the GA, and you know, mm-hmm. $15,000 for travel at 13. Yeah. How, how many families can actually sustain that for six years? You cannot. As I, I would wager to say you cannot. No. Well, and, and then you compare it to the global stage, and you look at the other countries that are really starting to just explode in Productivity, you know, i.e., Spain, England, etc. There's no bills. Like the, their whole system is built on mm-hmm. it's a community kind of supported structure. So we have that to battle as well. Because again, the relevance and everything, it does come back to winning at the top levels. Mm-hmm. Because that's what begets additional growth and interest investment exactly you know you know for the for 25 years plus u.s women's team was the bee's knee right and 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 that helped really accelerate the growth of the game domestically because it was cool it was cool for more girls to get into it you know so i think that we got speed bumps coming up, and they got they have to figure out the the the, the money side mm-hmm. of this. Yeah, and and Bree Bree McCarthy, who you know mm-hmm. you work with, you have a relationship with, you know, spoke a little bit her Canadian experience being a little different, same, similar, some similar, but different in terms of you know the getting somebody into a pathway um, without needing to make thousands of dollars to do it is even a little bit. I think they're going through the challenges in Canada too, but maybe it was a little bit better at her time and. How much you know missed? We both coach talent. It's not. It doesn't always come from money, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, like, think about the talent we miss because mm-hmm. they can't get there or they can't afford that that three hundred dollar a month club dues that you do for nine months out of the year. It's like I'm paying for braces again, right? And and they can't afford that, so they don't get to play. Mm-hmm. No, they don't get to play at that level. It's we do need to solve it. And I know there have been some, some of the national team players who are bringing attention to this. Yeah. And you know, city, city, uh, our, mm-hmm. our MLS team does, does work on this. They have path, you know, a kind of a pathway in it's, it's soccer one one They have those sessions, which lets everybody play, but they're looking, they're, they're looking cause they, they want to identify somebody in those. And I love that. We just don't have that on the girl side. Like you said, not no. yet. No, we don't. And I don't, you know what I would really like to see happen and I'm sure it won't, but I would like to see the MLS clubs have the women under the same umbrella. Thank well, you. Well, I think I, I wouldn't mind that myself. I know it probably seems antithetical, but I wouldn't mind that myself. It's just being. Remember when? Remember when we would be like the? I went to Lindenwood, so it was the soccer team and it was the women's team, mm-hmm. and finally, like the lingo's still not changed everywhere. Where it's like it's soccer. Are you talking men's? Or are you talking women's? It's kind of that thing where you know you have the game. And we have this side of the game and this side of the game. Well, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll give you an example. Like, um, 
I'll go back to Europe. You know, you, you look at the professional women's teams, it's Chelsea, it is Arsenal, it is Manchester United. Here, go go across state. Kansas City Current. Current. No, it should be SKCW. Women. Or yeah. whatever you want to do, just just make the shift. It's almost as if they like, yes, we're we're related, but not really. They gotta get over that. Yeah. I, I agree. And, I and totally work agree. together. And, and even even uh, I spoke with Brian McBride uh, when the the bronze boot was coming to town. Had an interview with him on Camel X, and w- off the mic we talked a little bit because he has a girl in the GA at in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Can't remember who which Chicago, but our girls are the same age. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll see you on the pitch, Big Bride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, he said, you know. He's like, we we were at one point having conversations with the men's national team and the women's national team. He goes, and that's great, but it needs to come down to the youth level mm-hmm. where we are, are, you know, he's invested though now. He's got a daughter mm-hmm. who's playing and we have to treat them just as, you know, same game, a little bit, not really that different, to be honest with you. Um, and let's, let, let's um, use the momentum of each other to make it better because families are blended with, you know, potentially, you know, I know JB, you have three boys. I got two boys, two girls. You've got one of each, Mm -hmm. Wendy, and you've got everybody in my family is interested in it, no matter their gender. Well, and you just utilizing the resources, sharing the resources, pooling the resources. You know, why, why have two, like in Kansas City, why have two where you're having to fund stadiums, staff, everything separately? You can well, because in Kansas City, nobody wants to go to the suburbs. <laughs> Let's he likes start it. There. He's going to go. He's going to go. Sorry, he's going to talk about their barbecue <laughs> next. He's going to rip on their MLS team. <laughs> I think there there's a way to get it done, but the, the minds and the powers that be, they really have to drive it. Yep, I agree. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank this you for inviting thank you. me. Jen, you want to roll us out here? Where where are we, by the way? We did we forgot to. Uh... Oh, I will totally tag it in social media. So once again, Circle Seven in Des Perez, they have another location that's like in Baldwin somewhere. I haven't been to that one, but this one's literally, quite honestly, like down the street. And um, I like to eat here, and I like to not do the dishes. So yeah. thank you, Circle Seven. <laughs> so remember, I mentioned earlier the uh, other version. Here you go. Let me see what you guys think. Of this it's the same one. Oh, so slow down. 33. So the other one was a 45. It was a single, how it was released. So this is the same song at 33 RPM. Wow. What does that take to write a song like that that can sound the same at anything and good at any speed? Isn't it crazy? I love Dolly. I love Dolly. We should get her on the show. We can make a phone call. We can round table. We'll all be with Dolly. She she could fund... (laughs) The women's league <gasps> across the there, board. There it is, Wendy. That's all we need. We Wendy, need a dolly. <laughs> yeah, Wendy, thank you for your time. Uh, congratulations on your own successes and your new role. And uh, best of luck to your kids. And you know, like I said, with Braden, I'm a fan. Can't wait to watch him play more. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care, everybody. <laughs>